Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Children and adolescents have unique behavioral challenges that can directly affect their development into adulthood. Today we're going to be talking with Dr. Gabrielle Gallarim from Gallarim Behavioral Health over in Makoao on Maui about what are some of these common challenges and what are some of the unique ways that she has found to be able to help address some of these needs, especially during this difficult time when everyone's dealing with COVID and trying to stay home while still maintaining services necessary for their child or adolescent. Thank you for joining me today on the show, Dr. Gallarim. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. What are the common behavioral health challenges that you see in your practice that manifest maybe in children or adolescents that, you know, can directly affect how someone can become a functioning adult later on if we don't catch some of these things and identify them and intervene early on? Oh, gosh, (laughs) a wide variety of of, uh, challenges. Um, uh, you know, the I would say the most typical presentation in our clinic is probably uh, around depression, anxiety, especially heightened around this time in uh, COVID. Um, we do see a lot of uh, children on the spectrum, uh, autism spectrum, and, uh, you know, lot, a variety of behavioral issues, uh, school performance uh, difficulties. Um, that that that's probably you know the bulk of what we see. So, what sort of ways might children express being depressed or being anxious? I know a lot of times. You know, a lot of adults are because they're just trying to manage their lives and, you know, they might be working from home or everything's changed in their environment. But what kinds of things might children manifest that people might pick up on that seem a little unusual? Uh, Often you'll see a child who, uh, you know, depression is um, a diagnosis and, you know, we kind of look at at, uh, as you're alluding to the, the symptoms, you know, we're looking at the signs of what, what's going on. So sometimes kids will um, seem apathetic, uh, angry, irritable. Um, there may be a, ch- a change in their appetite, um, decrease, uh, decrease focus uh, in general, and um, worse, worsening grades worsening school performance, that kind of, uh, that kind of stuff is what we would look at and, and uh, try to address. Well, and I often think with the idea of a lot of kids attending school remotely, that might change how they interact in school at a baseline just because they don't have their friends or that social environment. And it may Mm -hmm. actually make things even a little bit more difficult for kids dealing with, you know, that whole idea of school in a different place, school in your house, which doesn't feel like it used to. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's a biggie. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of confinement and isolation and that really just adds, you know, a lot of, uh, salt to the wound, so to speak. Uh, it's not It's not a good thing. 
if parents notice these things in their child, what should they do? Uh, well, I think, you know, one of my favorite pieces of advice is to trust your instincts. You know, I think that people um, have probably a lot of, um, you know, kind of, uh, they have a lot of know-how and um, they should kind of look to themselves, look to the other people in their world, in their, in their village, um, and, you know, you know, reach out to those who may be, um, you know, the kapuna, people who are uh, more knowledgeable. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, they ultimately, if, if they cannot find answers or if the problems continue, then they should reach out to a professional such as ourselves. And they could do that if they started with their pediatrician and then also were referred to you, or you also do pediatric services as well. So it just depends on the needs of their child. Right, right. It's usually either through referral from another physician or word of mouth, um, or people actually find us online often as well. Now, one of the things you mentioned is along the spectrum of autism. And I remember, you know, when I first started in medical practice, we sort of had a very defined definition of autism. And now there's the idea of a spectrum, some various <laughs> levels of manifestations that may not have previously been appreciated that may have extended the degree of the diagnosis, but in such a way that it, it encompasses people who may have different levels of being affected by autism. How would you describe Autism and the autism spectrum. Great question. <clears throat> so autism is really a combination of, of delays uh, or deviations in uh, the development of some key areas, such as uh, social interactions, communication, and in overall behavior. Um, and I can talk about that more um, if you want, but I, you know, just in terms of the spectrum, this is, I think, a really wonderful point, me being the pathological optimist. <laughs> I like to bring people back to that because, you know, no one wants to hear that their child is being diagnosed with autism, um, and yet there's such a range of um, and there's a variability on that spectrum. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of look at it from zero to 100. You know, a child who's barely on the spectrum at zero versus 100, very, very uh, affected. And there's a lot of room in between, and I think that that's a really important uh, uh, thing to point out to parents who are hearing the diagnosis, you know, where on the spectrum is their child. And, uh, you know, when a child is uh, kind of in the middle of the spectrum at, say, 50, the way I look at it, it's a lot easier to get a child from 50 to, you know, zero than it is to get a child from 80, 100 to zero. So I think that that is... Uh, you know, very important distinction uh, to make when, when one is, um, you know, making the diagnosis. So you could have somebody who 
initially presents at one level of on the on the spectrum, how do they get to a lower level? Is that through some of the behavioral therapies that are provided to them? Yep, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's the thing. That's the real key um, point here. I, well, one of the many key points is the earlier a child is diagnosed uh, on the spectrum, the better, because um, their, their young brain is very... Um, plastic and and uh, still laying down lots of neurons and um, if we get them early we can definitely make I mean not to say that if you uh, diagnose a child later that you won't get you know you won't have success but the earlier the better um, in terms of um, uh, using the various therapies and one of the key therapies that we use, and that is uh, really uh, a evidence-based treatment is applied behavioral analysis, and that really does help children on the spectrum with their uh, behaviors. So improving their behaviors, uh, being able to enhance more socially uh, important and appropriate behaviors and diminishing inappropriate behaviors. Well, and we are going to talk some more about that in just a few moments. Right now, I am going to head towards Pledge Central, where we try to support The Body Show, and thank you for doing that. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I have Dr. Gabrielle Gallarim on the line from Gallarim Behavioral Health over in Makawao on Maui. And right before the break, we were just talking about what is applied behavioral analysis, otherwise known as ABA therapy. For any parent whose child may have been diagnosed with autism or some other behavioral health conditions, this is a type of therapy that is really targeting those social and behavioral and communication skills that are so necessary to have their child continue to be able to become a successful, productive, and an engaging adult in all areas and facets of their life. Now, Dr. Gallerum, you mentioned that this particular type of therapy could help someone who might be diagnosed on the autism spectrum, you use the analogy of zero to 100. If someone was at a level of 50 or a level of 40, you could help move them to lower levels of being affected by the autism diagnosis by doing some of these therapies. What exactly are these therapies and who who can provide them? Um, Well, they're provided by uh, specialists in behavior uh, so the therapies, I can give an overarching description of applied behavioral analysis, but may I go back for a second because I, I during the break I was reflecting on uh, a previous question you had asked me what parents can do for children who are suffering in any way, in any way. and I, 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 I wanted to mention something really, really important, and then I will uh, go forward and talk about ABA. Absolutely. Uh, the best thing, <laughs> best thing that parents can really do for their children, in addition to all the other stuff that we talked about, is take care of themselves, take care of each other, and uh, manage their own stress. Because, and, and now talking about children on the spectrum in particular, they're very acutely aware of their environment, you know, the situation around them. And that can, you know, uh, I mean, it, it's 
easier said than done, of course, but managing one's stress and, and you know, having the adults take care of each other um, is really key to uh, moving the needle, so to speak. The concept of sort of put on your own oxygen mask or else you won't be able to help anyone else. Thank you. Perfect. Great analogy. I'm going to use that one, okay? <laughs> you can have it. Absolutely. I took it from airline safety videos, so you can have anything you want. <laughs> Great. So um, so APA uh, is a therapy, <clears throat> as you mentioned, that is it's evidence-based, so it's been studied and shown to really improve behaviors uh, in actually many realms, but we it's, it's really in this context we're using it um, with children on the autism spectrum. And in a nutshell, it is comprised of two parts. A, an assessment part and a treatment part. And these are, uh, the assessments are always uh, conducted by the behavioral specialists. Uh, they're called um, board certified behavioral analysts. And they're, they're people who have gone through, uh, you know, pretty extensive training. They have master's degrees and uh, they're, they're, they're very well versed in what they're doing. So uh, across the board, the assessments are are performed by a BCBA. Uh, Treatments can be conducted by the BCBA or other um, what we call RBTs, registered behavioral therapists, who are not master's degree level individuals, but, you know, they have to go through some certification. Um, And, you know, they deliver, you know, a good service. It's very operator dependent, of course. So, um, it depends on how well that person um, has learned the field of behavior. But um, so not, not to go on and on about uh, the assessment or the treatment, uh, it, suffice it to say that it's a very systematic approach to behavior. So there's a lot of data collection that goes on, which is what makes it very unique and very powerful, gives it a lot of, uh, you know, scientific uh, clout. Uh, you can, you collect data um, on on the, the particular behaviors that are happening or are not happening. And then those are analyzed and a treatment plan is put in place in with, you know, in combination with um, the caregivers, the parents, grandparents, who, you know, the, the people who are important in that child's life, teachers sometimes, and then a treatment. Uh, so the treatment plan is devised, and then the treatment is, is um, given to the child. And the treatment is fairly intensive. Um, I, back in the old days, they used to do like 40 hours a week, <laughs> and we don't do that anymore, but you know, there's. I would say the treatments are anywhere from eight to twelve hours a week, and they're delivered uh, either in the child's home. Our our agency delivers uh, exclusively in the community and in the child's home, but some some other agencies will um, have uh, our center base as well. When when you talk about so, doing those sorts of therapies, I imagine the individual treatments are truly based on the analysis done of the of the patient or done of the child in this case or maybe adolescent. Do you see or have you seen in your experience uh, children who have really changed over the course of, 
you know, their their treatments, maybe a couple of months of treatments and and dramatically altered the behavior in such a way that your goals have been accomplished. Do you have any memorable success stories to share with us? Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. <laughs> a lot. Um, actually, all of our children are pretty much success stories. Um, they're all making some tremendous gains. One uh, child comes to mind um, within, well, so several weeks ago, uh, we discovered that the child had uh, pica, which is basically a child is eating things they shouldn't be eating that are not, you know, comestibles, you know, eating um, chalk, eating... They're not food items, okay. Eating, yeah. And uh, so this child uh, was filling up on all sorts of yucky stuff. And we, in, you know, in a relatively short time, and I would say in a couple weeks, and of course this was only one little piece of his broader treatment plan, which is very specific to him, uh, we, really, we, we really got him to stop eating those things. And we used various, um, various techniques all within the context of ABA. And he's, you know, he's eating food much more so now than he was before. He was filling up on all the other junk that wasn't supposed to go into his tummy. And so, that, I mean, uh, yeah. that's such an obvious, like, <laughs> visual thing that you can now see this child change and eat food as opposed to eating items that really weren't most appropriate for his health. So that's mm-hmm. that's pretty amazing, just in a short period of time to see such a remarkable difference. Now, you also practice in a really tight community. Do you see some of your former patients who are now doing great and you see them in various places in your community? You know, I thank you for that question because that is the best question so far. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I see them. I mean, the cool thing I, that I get to really boast about is that I get to follow up with my patients and some of them I've known for years and you know I I have seen kids that were completely nonverbal when I first diagnosed them at two come in and like wow who is this child like uh, there's some 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 children that I you know if I had seen them years later when I you know did most recently I would not have diagnosed them with autism So, yeah, it's really very rewarding. And, you know, parents, I mean, you can imagine, parents are just, like, beyond relieved and happy to see their kids improve like that. Well, and it's such a credit to you that you're able to bring out the best in these children, but also coordinate this whole concept of, of diagnosing them, doing an assessment, and providing some of the absolutely essential services that these kids need to become the healthy, productive adults that we'll all see in the community. If I ever have an opportunity to head to Makawao in Maui, I'm coming to say hi. In the meantime, we are going to head back to Pledge Central. Thank you, Dr. Gabrielle Gallarim from Gallarim Behavioral Health for sharing your expertise with us today. And now we're going to hear from the important folks who keep this show going. (laughs) My pleasure. Bye. Local programming.